Hi, I'm Ryan Becker, and you're listening to the Rock Hill Seventh-day Adventist Church Official Sermon Archive. You can find more information about our church at www.rockhillsdachurch.org. We hope by listening to this message that you are encouraged and challenged in your walk with Christ. Now, we set aside, as a society, a day to honor mothers in May, in spring when everything's so gorgeous. And once it gets hot and sticky, we set aside a day in June for the men. I'm not saying that that was deliberate, but since I won't be speaking on that weekend, Ryan will be here that weekend, I wanted to get in a, a little Father's Day message because my brothers and sisters, because you are that, every day should be Father's Day. Every day is our Father's Day. There's no day specially set aside, be it Saturday or Sunday or Tuesday or Wednesday or whatever. Every day is Father's Day. And I have a very unique perspective on Father's Day. Not that I'm a unique person because there are millions of me around the world. But because I have three fathers. And some of you have heard me talk about this before. And if I'm repeating information you already have stored, bear with me because I think I have a new insight because that was eight years ago. I have three fathers. I have a father I never knew. And I want to talk a little bit about him this morning. And then I have a father that I grew up with who I called daddy. And I have a heavenly father. And yes, I'm going to be emotional. So bear with me. Now, the scripture reading this morning makes a couple of very bold statements that if you understood the period of time in which they were written, Paul and John are talking about something that is, was a legal occurrence, something that was very, very vital. Now, for what you may know or not know about the ancient world, family relationships were actually kind of fluid. And say you have six or seven naturally born children to the, the woman you are connected to. But you don't really care for any of them. But you like this young man or this young woman over here. You can just say, nice knowing you. You're going to be my child. And you go to the courts and you adopt that person. And that person takes the place of all these. It was a legal, binding, very life or death situation. How many of you remember the, the film Ben-Hur? Ben-Hur was adopted by a Roman nobleman. He became, in effect, no longer who he had been. He is now the son of this Roman nobleman. And that gave him access to all the things that he had later on. And this Roman nobleman had other children. You don't see that in the movie. You have to read the book. Books are always better. There is no movie. Read the book. Now, I did a little bit of search. Google's a beautiful thing. I love Google. I love technology when it works for me. If it doesn't work for me, I don't care about it. You can have your Keurig machines all you want. I don't drink coffee. Father, how many times is the word or the term, the equivalent term for the word father used in scripture? Now, this depends on which 
translation you look at because they're all just a little bit different. But I, I actually looked at eight different translations and then I averaged it up. There's an average of 1,050 times that either the term father or the equivalent term, because scripture was written in many different languages. A lot of us aren't aware of that. It, is, it appears 672 times in the Old Testament, and it appears 378 times in the New Testament. It's an important word. It's an important concept. Now, in Romans, Paul says we can call God Abba, which is one of the forms of the term that is used for father. It's not the only term used for father. It's used in, it can mean three different things. It can mean, catch, follow me here now, the father. It can mean my father. It can mean our father. It's used in three different ways. It is an intimate term for father. It implies that there is a one-on-one -on -one relationship between you, the person using the term, and another figure. It's not that I know Roger's a father, but he's not my Abba because I don't have that relationship with him. He is a father, but I only have, I knew daddy. You understand the difference? How, how you use the term Abba? Now in the Pauline letters, Paul by himself used the term Father 40 different times and each and in varying context. I'm getting to the story later. Just let me give you the background because you know I'm a teacher. Alright? <laughs> he uses it when he is blessing somebody or talking about blessings. And I can give you a couple of real specific places. Some of you I know like to take notes. Check out Romans 1, 7 and Corinthians, uh, I guess it's 1 Corinthians because I have a one down here but it's in the wrong place. Corinthians 1, 3. Might be 1 Corinthians, might be 2. Ms. Miles, I'm encouraging exploratory learning here. <laughs> it won't do you any harm to read Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 1, 3. It certainly won't do you any harm to read 2 Corinthians 1. But when he's talking about blessings, that the Father gives blessings, he uses it in doxologies. A doxology is an acknowledgement of God or a praise to God. Check out Romans 15, 6 when you have time. He uses it in the, in the context of giving thanks and a thanksgiving hymn. This one is, de oh, well, the, here it is, 2 Corinthians 1, 3. Okay, so I found the two. The, the one's in the wrong place. And 1 Thessalonians. Chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. He, use it, he uses it in the context of prayer, of beseeching, praying for others. In Colossians 1, 12. He's using it to exhort people to action and, and to faithfulness. Look at Ephesians 5, 2. He uses it in a creed, in a statement of what he believes and what is the true teaching because people were trying to mess up what he was teaching people. 1 Corinthians 8, 6, Ephesians 4, 6. He uses this when he is talking about this is the faith 
which was given to me, which I have given to you. And he's talking about our father, his father, the father, my father, our father. And then he talks about us. For we are his children, we are God's children. Romans 8, 12 through 16. If you ever have a down day, read Romans 8, 12 through 16. 1 Peter Chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Peter's talking about we are God's children, his chosen children. The beloved disciple John, 3.1. So he is convinced that we have a father. And the scripture tells us we have a father who cares about us. And how do we get to be his father? Check out Romans 8, 15. Go ahead and turn there just for a moment. You, talking to the believers at the church in Rome, did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, to not be an acknowledged child of someone within the Roman Empire was a scary thing. You had no family connection. You had no guarantee of income. You had no guarantee of having a place to live. You couldn't get a job. Would that not be scary to you? If you did not have a father who could intercede for you, would you not be feel like you were in bondage or except you had to work for somebody else or, or be a slave or a servant to someone else? And that would be scary. You were not given that spirit of bondage to fear, but you received the spirit of, everybody read the word with me out loud, adoption. There has been a transaction made, and you are now adopted into what? You're adopted into God's family, and we can cry out to him, Abba, my father, intercede for me. Eight twenty three, nine oh four. These are all in Romans chapter nine and verse four. I'm not. I'm, it takes too much time to look them all up. Galatians four five. Ephesians one verses five through seven. Over and over again, Paul wants the believers to know he's not talking to the unsaved. He's talking to the believers in the church. Quit acting scared, dudes. Calm down. You have a father who's going to take care of you. In the Old Testament, we see it not quite as, as overt, but it's there. It's in Isaiah 1, 2, Hosea 11, 1, Exodus 4, 22. I can keep going. The term, and I'm not good at pronouncing Greek. I, can, I know how to do research. Theothesia, H-U-I-O-T-H-E-S-I-A, is the term that we talk about. We're talking about adoption. It means to put in the place of a son as of a firstborn. I always kind of despised my brother because he was older than I was. And he got all kinds of good stuff that I never got. 
And I got hand-me-down bicycles, I got hand-me-down skates, I got hand-me-down Monopoly sets, because I wasn't the firstborn. And that, that kind of griped me. But you know what he has promised us in this adoption process? The ultimate privilege of being Are you ready? Hold on to your hair, because it's getting ready to blow off. Do you know what being adopted means we get to be? Beloved, now we are children of God. It's not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, grab your hair, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Does that not just make your heart jump inside your chest and want to come out? Amen. We get to the ultimate privilege. We get to be like our father. I loved my daddy. You, you guys know that. I talk about my daddy so much. And I wanted to be just like him. <coughs> you should have seen his memorial service in Vermont, in that tiny little church in Volta, where there were so many people who showed up. We had to move it to the town hall because the church wouldn't hold it. The church wouldn't hold the number of people who wanted to come and pay their respects to my daddy. And I wanted to be just like him. But I'm not talking about Earl Royce today. I want to talk about my natural birth father that I never knew. What I know of him was very skimpy and only allowed by what the adoption rules and laws of the state of North Carolina were in 1954. And they were tight. They're still tight. That door is still closed to them. As an adult, it would cost me thousands and thousands of dollars to hire a lawyer to go to court just to find out what his name was. In him, I inherited all of the faults and flaws of humanity. That was his gift to me. My Adamic nature came through my birth father. He didn't mean to give me those things. But because he was my birth father, my natural father in this world, I got all the problems that he had passed on to me to birth. Now, some of you know a little bit of this, and I'll, for those of you who haven't heard this, I was born almost eight weeks prematurely to a family that couldn't afford another baby. Already had three boys. 1954 to Korean War vet who was just getting by as, as car mechanic. He and his wife were devout Catholics, raising three healthy boys, and this was a surprise pregnancy. And I was born prematurely with underdeveloped lungs. Mm. And yeah, you wouldn't believe that, would you? <laughs> <laughs> underdeveloped lungs in Rebecca. No, I don't believe that for a minute. 
And in those days, the only thing they could do for babies, because they didn't have neonatal units like they do today, was to put me into a forced air incubator and hope that I made it. There's nothing they could do. I would either make it or I wouldn't make it. And even in those days, that's expensive. My parents had just adopted about six months earlier a nice little boy that they named after my dad. And they wanted a little sister to go along and they'd been looking and they'd been talking with the adoption agency. And they had some criteria. They wanted, you know, Christian family. You know, they wanted to know a little bit about them. They just wanted a little girl. And I found out that in the middle of the night, and it was raining, on the night of March 16, 1954, the phone rang from 511 Pinkney Avenue in Charlotte. And the nice lady said, well, if you can come down to Memorial Hospital, there's a baby girl here you might be interested in. But we need to make a decision right away because she may not last the night. And so my mom and dad got in the car and drove over. And they met with the adoption team and with the medical team and they were, they were informed. We don't know that she's gonna make it through the night. She's premature, she has underdeveloped lungs, she, she's kind of bluish, we can let you see her. Don't, be, don't get upset <coughs> by the color she is. And she's very, very small. And they went and they were so excited. What do we have to do? Well, if you're going to a doctor, you have to commit to the medical care. You have to understand this is going to cost you a lot of money, not just the adoption legal fees, but you're gonna have to understand that there's gonna be money involved and sacrifice involved in getting her through this. Without hesitation. I wish I could have been a fly on the wall looking at them. All I know is what they told me. Without hesitation, they looked at each other and hugged each other and said, we want her. I found out from my dad, as he was dying of pancreatic cancer, a lot of the story that I did not know. He didn't get to talk with the young couple. Uh, they weren't young, young, like in their early 20s, but they were my parents were mature. They were already in their middle 30s. But he saw him in the hallway, sitting, praying that this family would take his daughter. And he surrendered me to them in love and in recognition of his inability to save them. There was nothing he could do. He gave me life, but he couldn't keep that life in me. He was able to make that sacrifice out of love for my survival and a chance at life. <coughs> Is that not a metaphor? save ourselves. Nobody can save us. But we can lead, we can be led <coughs> to a saving knowledge. A 
than her father. And you know why. God knew when that young woman conceived this baby that he was going to put me in the care of this husband and wife who were going to point me to him. That was their overwhelming desire that they would point me to the ultimate father. My heavenly father made the ultimate love sacrifice because he gave up his son so he could get a daughter. That should make your heart, those of you who have walked with God, have you ever thought about it that way? He gave up his son so that he could adopt you. And if that doesn't put a different perspective on how you view God and how you view Christ, and if that doesn't light your fire, then your wood's wet. <laughs> I have been redeemed and adopted into his family. A legal contract has been made which cannot be broken. I am his child. And I believe in my heart. I could be wrong. I'm wrong. I'm wrong at least six times before seven o'clock in the morning. But I believe that in eternity I'm going to get to meet the father I never knew. And thank him. I'm going to get to thank my mother, my birth mother. I had a mommy too, first grade teacher. She was so upset when I went into high school. How do you know that? I disappointed her so. She didn't. Well, not that she didn't like teenagers, but she was, she was a first grade teacher, and you know they're a different animal. They are a totally different animal. But I believe that in God's ultimate love. And infinite goodness, he's going to let me meet that couple. And maybe the brothers, I don't know about them, maybe the brothers that I never knew. But you know what he has given me in the meantime? Nine brothers plus a husband that love God. And look at all my sisters. He has, we've all been adopted into this wonderful family. And we should treat each other like that, too. Just <coughs> let me get on my soapbox. Treat each other good because you're brothers and sisters. <laughs> but the whole point of it is, and this goes back to what Ken was saying, and I didn't know what he was going to say. What he was going to say, I never know what Ken's going to say. But about leaving that image and leaving that perception because I am representing my father to everybody I come in contact with. And I still strive to be a worthy daughter of Earl, Earl Royce. Best letter carrier Charlotte ever had. I still strive to hold him up with integrity and honor and let people know that he was my father. But even more than that, I want everybody, every student that I come in contact with, whether they're adult or whether they're 
three years old, four years old, to know that my father loves everything. Amen. Amen. And he loves me <coughs> so much that he gave up everything so I could be his daughter. And I look forward to meeting him face to face and meeting my brother Jesus face to face. So my challenge to you this week as you walk from this place and go back into the world, remember who your daddy is. Remember who your Abba is. He is the Father. He is our Father. 